0: to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be.
1: Greetings everybody, welcome. To-
0: Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with edtech? Having too many tools and not enough time to use them right. They require too much training and it takes too much effort to implement it effectively. That's why it makes such a difference that IXL can do the job of dozens of individual tools so that I have everything I need for instruction and assessment in one place. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com BE for a demo. That's IXL.com slash BE.
1: To the Cybertraps podcast, my name is Frederick Lane and I'm coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. I am an author, attorney, and educational consultant. Let's
0: talk about flex time in schools. If you've been listening for a long time, you know how important I think this is. It gives us more time for personalized learning, increasing choice and agency for students, and the increased enrollment that comes with it, dedicated time for intervention and enrichment, And overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be so tough. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more about it and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com/be
1: in the city. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. My co-host Jethro Jones and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. I'm working solo today, so I'll take over Jethro's pitch which is to say that over the coming weeks and months we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education parenting sociology and cyber safety join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world for more information or to donate to our work please visit centerforcyberethics.org the cyber traps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501 c 3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. And with the preliminaries out of the way, I would like to welcome today's guest, law professor Amos Giora, who is going to be talking to us about his work and his recent publication, Armies of Enablers. So welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Two points for getting the last name correct. (laughs)
1: Well, I did take a little coaching, to be perfectly honest, for the audience. So, sir, please uh, give us a little bit of introduction to your work and the
2: kinds of issues you're interested in, and then we'll dive in. Excellent. So give me exactly three minutes and so to keep it crisp so the audience will stick with me. 10 years ago, I wrote a book called the Crime of Complicity, The Bystander and the Holocaust, which is about my parents who are both deceased but are Holocaust survivors. And I explored their god awful stories through the lens of the person who was present, the bystander. And that led to the book which you graciously referenced, Armies of Enablers, in which I interviewed the sexual assault survivors from Michigan State, USA Gymnastics, Ohio State, Catholic Church. I tried to get to the boys who were raped at Penn State by Sandusky, couldn't get to them, but I wrote about them. That book came out, I think two or three years ago. And that book has then led to this new project, which is audience forewarned, is a terrible project called The Ecosystem of Pedophilia. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the role of the enabler in pedophilia. The project revolves around the 1997 murder of a 12 year old boy, Jeremy Bell, who was murdered by his teacher principal Edgar Friedrichs in West Virginia, the teacher principal Friedrichs had been shuffled from school to school in Pennsylvania and in West Virginia. When he murders the boy on November seventh, nineteen ninety-seven, he never should have ever had access to that little boy. His career should have come to a crashing end decades before. Not only did school administrators shuffle him from school to school, but the night of the murder, local law enforcement they rushed. To close the case. There is a terrible report by a medical examiner, ruling that the boy died of, tragically of asphyxiation. In real life, as we came to learn, thanks to the extraordinary efforts of a remarkable private investigator, Dan Barber, the boy was murdered. Ultimately, Frudix was um, prosecuted, convicted, incarcerated. He'll he will die in jail. But what's important for me in the context of this project one more word about that is examining the role of the enabler and it's the reason that the university of utah law school has now established a bystander initiative working on using the jeremy bell case as the platform for an article a book interactions like this working on legislation both in the united states and internationally to address not the perpetrator not the pedophile but the enablers And the other piece of that is engage in a project with a professor of public health, trying to analyze different variables in different communities, the ecological factors that perhaps play a role in pedophilia. Studies of this has not been done before in this whole project. The polite word is it's difficult. It's brutal. I have students who are working with me and the biggest shout out goes to them because the material is difficult and they're willing to work with me on it. I also teach a class at the University of Utah. Honors College on this, teach a course at the law school on this, and this is what I do.
1: It's vitally needed work. I don't know if we've had a chance to discuss this, and actually, just as a bit of context for the audience, you and I had a chance to meet for the first time at the Professional Practices Institute in October, which was the source of a number of our other podcast episodes, and you gave a presentation on this very topic, which is what inspired me to invite you onto the podcast. I don't know if we discuss the fact that for the last 20 years, I've done computer forensics in this general area, and it is brutal stuff. And I think that there's so many different aspects of it that we could touch on. But for the purposes of this particular podcast, uh, we tend to focus on the educational environment and the role that technology is playing in that environment and some of the risks that arise. So let's go back first to your book, where you're talking about the army of enablers, and we will Armees, put a, armies, armies, right? Multiple, multiple armies. We will put a link to that in the show Thank notes you. so that people I'll
2: also ask know. you to put a link to the bystander initiative.
1: Oh, we absolutely will. Any anything of that sort that you want Thank us you. to put in there? So with the armies of enablers, it seems to me that that was your first opportunity to get some insight into the role that institutions can play in facilitating the bystanding, if you will. So would you like to comment on that because 100% I percent
2: correct because uh, as the older of the two of us here, I, life is too short to not be b- blunt and honest. I had never heard the word bystander before. I had no, mm-hmm. never heard the word enabler before until beginning this project. So with respect to armies of enablers, I was speaking to a woman who's in the book, she's Jane Doe. And I kept talking about Nasser bystander, Nasser bystander. And she said to me, you know, no. like, Lord, how, how stupid are you? I said, okay, why this time? <laughs> um, she said with Nasser, there were no bystanders. They were enablers. The, meaning the institutional actors who knew but failed to act in order to protect, they protected the institution rather than protecting the individual. I've never heard that word before. And I went to mm-hmm. the class, the honors college class, and I said to the class, I said, listen, I have no idea what this word means, enablers, but I'm going to write a book about it. They all looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know, but that's what this led to. And then I started interviewing the girls, and one of the, her name is Lindsay Lemke. She was the captain of Michigan's gym, Michigan State's gymnastics team. And I was talking about army, army of enablers, like you, army. She right. also said to me, Giora, like, how stupid are you? I said, yes, two in a row. I said, why this time? She said, because it wasn't an army, it was armies. She said, wherever we turned, we were confronted by she was a captain of the gymnastics team. So when she went to complain against Nasser, the head gymnastics coach, a woman named Kathy Clagus, protected Nasser and Michigan State in the name of institutional complicity. And all the girls who I interviewed, wherever they turned, whenever they turned this way, this way, this way, they ran up against a huge wall who had one purpose, and that was to protect directly the institution and indirectly the perpetrator. And that's what institutional complicity is.
1: So the desire to protect the institution ends up exacerbating the whole situation because it's the perpetrator and protecting that individual is basically seen as a cost of protecting the institution.
2: It's very interesting you put it that way. The, the and I use the word girls deliberately because that's how they request to be referred to because they were girls when it happened. So there's mm-hmm. not, not, not women but girls. Um, their anger today is not at all at Larry Nasser. I mean, listen, he did what he did. This is the way they talk. Their rage is at the enablers, the coaches at Michigan State or the USA Gymnastics for the girls in the Olympics, because the enablers protected the institution and the individual and absolutely guaranteed the exacerbation of the harm. And the numbers are uh, astounding. Yeah,
1: yeah. They're staggering numbers.
2: That's right. Maddie Larson, who at one time was voted America's favorite gymnast, she was sexually violated by Larry Nassar 750 times. Tiffany Thomas Lopez was violated 150 times. And
1: it's hard to wrap your head around 100%.
2: And they know that, they understand that. Yeah, I mean, the numbers, it's unfathomable, actually.
1: That's Uh, really crazy. So I think that that's a really important insight both for us as individuals to understand what these girls slash young women are saying about who they're angry at. Mm. And I think that's a great thing for administrators listening to this podcast to contemplate, because you can't necessarily prevent evil actions by an individual. You know, you hopefully try to, but sometimes they do what they do, as the young woman put it. But these individuals and these institutions that have an overarching duty of protection for the children, that that I could see being truly infuriating if that is put aside because they're worried about donors or the reputation of the gymnastics program or what have you.
2: You and I are of age. I mean, you've held a newspaper in your life, right? I assume part I've of, written for some
1: newspapers. Of, <laughs> some of your audience
2: would know a newspaper if them in the head, but there's that expression above the fold. Yes. And that's right. And for institutions, they lose sleep at night about the above the fold. You know, think about Penn State and Jerry Sandusky. Uh, of course. If you Think about the Catholic Church. We go on and on and on. Or my peeps in Israel with the rabbis. Go on and on and on. The fear is above the fold. About in terms of negative publicity. In the name of negative publicity, that's a a, a consideration. It's, I don't know if it's the, but it's certainly an important one. Mm-hmm. You the institutional. Enabler will protect the institution, regardless of the duty you owe to the individual.
1: Mm. Now, there's some segues here to the project that you're doing with respect to the ecosystem of pedophilia. But before we move on to that, I'm curious to get your thoughts. You've studied this, you've talked to victims, you've really done a deep dive into these kinds of situations. What is your advice? for an institution or a specific administrator to overcome what I would call the institutional fetal position is the way I would put it. They curl up and they don't want to look at what's happening. So if you're a person of conscience in an organization or institution like that,
2: what do you do? What's your recourse? Of course, I like the fetal position metaphor. Thank you. (laughs) First of all, institutional actors have to be held accountable. And it's okay for people to be fired. It's fine. Whether it's university presidents, whether it's CEOs, accountability is important. I work with legislators to change criminal codes to make this a crime. And a gymnastics coach like Kathy Clagus at Michigan State, who told Lemke three magical sentences, she said to Lemke, if you complain, if she complained about Nazarene. One, I'll have to talk to your parents. Incorrect. Lemke was a 21-year-old adult. I don't talk to your parents. Two, she says to her, I want you to think about how this will impact Larry and his family. That's not Lindsey Lemke's concern at all. And three, right. she told Lemke, I remind you, she said, scholarships are given, scholarships are taken. That's a threat. Mm-hmm. That's a direct threat. That's There's no subtlety in that. I mean, that's cash money. These scholarships are worth a lot of money. Kathy Klamis ended up in jail anyway, but for something else, I would make that a crime. Well, so, it is a form of extortion. It is. I mean... Yes. I mean, you and I both know that college scholarships are worth a lot of money. Tell me about it. No, right? And if I tell you, here it is, but I'm taking it back. Or it's not guaranteed. It's
1: contingent on on us. That's exactly.
2: And you playing ball with us. I think that holding these people to the fire, metaphorically, is (laughs) absolutely essential. And I will also tell you this. As Maddie Larson said to me once. Every time USA Gymnastics would come out with a press statement, there's nothing more important than your health, welfare, all, all that stuff. Maddie would say, "I can't stand those press releases because It'd make it, her sick it,
1: to her stomach." Yeah, totally,
2: because there's no substance to it whatsoever, and the lack of accountability beyond the your health, welfare, those lines, or your our thoughts and prayers. Although those are nothing but mantras that are devoid of meaning and have no substance whatsoever. So to your question, twofold approach. One is to fire people, goodbye, thank you very much, or without, mm-hmm. thank you very much. And mm-hmm. two, to hold them criminally accountable. By the way, if you fire them without the golden, what are you the golden handshake? Um, golden gold, parachute, money,
1: whatever, yeah.
2: Whatever it's called, absolutely, no way.
1: It's all gold <laughs> at the end of the right. day.
2: <laughs> whether, wait, hey, by the way, whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, hang on, from the perspective of the survivor, I don't know if you saw this, but I think two weeks ago, Michigan State University did an unveiling of the portrait of the resigned, fired, dismissed, whichever adjective you want, Our former president of Michigan State University, Lou Anna Simon, who was a major enabler, drove the girls crazy. Because they said, wait a minute, Larry Nasser happens under her watch. She is the president of Michigan State University. And you can actually see on YouTube, I'll send it to you. When Lemke confronts her at Lemke's victim impact statement in the courtroom in, in Lansing, Michigan, mm-hmm. she confronts Lou Anne Simon. And it's a very, very, very powerful moment. The girls can't wrap their mind around the fact that she got an unveiling of her portrait.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's hard. Mm-hmm. The concept of equity and justice, obviously, goes so far beyond just righting the wrong. There's these additional ripple effects, I think, that we do need to look at. I agree with that 100%. Interesting. Well, let's use that as a segue to your current project, because in many ways, that's even more relevant to the K-12 officials in our audience. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit more broadly about what you're hoping to accomplish with the program, how it's structured, and then we'll get into some of the systemic issues, which bear some resemblance to what was going on with Armies of Enablers.
2: So first and foremost, whether it's a project with the professor of public health or the bystander initiative at the law school, I would suggest there are three goals. One, albeit I have no hair, I wear three hats in the conversation.
1: <laughs> May need um, them more for <laughs>
2: exactly. Um, one is to educate. At the end of the day, that's what I do, right? I'm an educator, and Same, the idea yeah. is, is to educate, whether it's through law review articles or books or conversations like this. Two is to absolutely be, whatever this phrase means, engage within the public discussion, whatever that word means. And I think that's really, really, really important. And that's why I, I welcome gracious invitations such as yours. And the third is to work with directly, indirectly, I don't care, with those who are boots on the ground. I'll give you an example. We're in January. I think it's either next month or in March. Don't remember. I apologize. I'm giving two talks here in Salt Lake City. One talk to 7th graders on this mm-hmm. 300 7th graders and then I'm giving a talk to 11th and 12th graders. I've done this before. I've spoken with teachers. I think it's really important to be honest. I mean there's different ways you speak to different audiences of course. But to be able to have an honest conversation about the role not of the perpetrator but of the role of those and the obligation of those who know that something wrong is happening and obviously did you speak to seventh graders differently than you speak to 12th graders you speak to 12th graders differently than how you speak to law students. Um us be, you know. audience. <laughs> I, sensible, audience I, I, I
1: truly get that one of the funnier experiences in my speaking career was doing a full day at a school and they wanted me to talk about Internet safety to kindergarten and first grade students. And that was a surprisingly heavy lift, I have to tell you.
2: That Well, that would be challenging because, first of all, for, I assume first graders today know a lot more than you and I did when we were in first grade. In but, some
1: ways, yes.
2: But they're <laughs> yes. still in first grade.
1: They're still in first grade. And actually, to be honest with you, some of their socialization lags behind probably what you and I had because we were forced to interact with our oh, peers. That's a
2: great point because of yeah. COVID.
1: Uh, Well, Uh, not only COVID, but also devices. And, you know, I was climbing trees and playing kickball and all of that stuff. And I don't want to make it idyllic because in information smarts, these kids are amazing. Like I was playing a geography game with my niece the other night at dinner. She blew me out of the water because she's doing these apps that, you know, you guessed different countries
2: and and i I was
1: just so impressed like i couldn't have done that in middle school if you put a gun to my head and so there's these trade-offs right but the audience specific thing that you're getting at i think is really important and for you to go from seventh grade to one l or two l that's a not insignificant jump
2: um it's a good thing i worked out this morning so i can jump Um, (laughs)
1: <laughs> it, yeah, well, I haven't done I, my I, run yet. Listen,
2: I've, I, here, it's simple for me to your question. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I don't know if this will make sense to you, but it's part of it. I think this is the best answer I can give you. After the book Crime of Complicity came out, it's been translated into Dutch and Chinese, and I've given talks around the world, blah, blah, blah. I'm well aware of the fact that there's criticism of me in the American Jewish community, in some sectors of the American Jewish community. And the criticism of me in the American Jewish community, is that not my word, but this is what was written, is I'm using my parents' Holocaust story to mm-hmm. tell a story about contemporary society. And using was viewed as a negative. I went to my now, I mean, my mom was then obviously alive, she's not deceased, and I went to her and I said, you know, if inadvertently, God forbid, I-, I am offending you by telling your story to try to institute change in today's society, then I will stop, full on, I will stop immediately the last thing you want to do is irritate your 85 year old mother i mean none of us have the the courage to do that um (laughs) and my mom who was five foot two 97 pounds said to me the following she said you keep on using our story if that's if our terrible story and their story was horrible if our terrible story can be used as a engine for change you keep on going and that's what drives us sure so in many ways it is for me honoring their legacy that's what Mm -hmm. ties all this together And even the project with the match, if you will, between law and public health is taking a significant number of data points, criteria, where they're specific to communities and tying that, merging that into, for instance, prosecutions in various courts where there's maltreatment, mistreatment of children. Mm -hmm. I don't know if predict, maybe it's too strong of a word, but try to assess what are the factors that potentially lead to pedophilia, full stop. There are those who will tell you pedophiles are born with it. There's nothing you can do about it. Maybe yes, maybe no, don't know. But I think by trying to undertake this this very broad ecological, ecological undertaking with a significant number of data points, it's just a different way of looking at it. And I would think given the prevalence of the problem, any research that can provide assistance to how to combat it is something that would be embraced with open arms.
1: Well, you would think. Right, I mean, that's a very optimistic point of view, but because of the difficulty of the subject matter and because of the attack on expertise, I think we've got some real issues with respect to that uh, rosy assumption. By way of example, look at the battle that we've had to get any basic research into mass shootings and gun violence. You know, there's actually been federal prohibitions on the CDC studying that problem because people don't want to know the answer, which most other Western democracies have pretty much figured out is guns actually are the contributing factor. But you're starting to see articles, and I don't mean in any way to make light of this, I'm just frustrated by the blinders. You're starting to see articles that explore the multivariant inputs to these kinds of attacks. And I think what you're doing with respect to pedophilia is along the same lines. We need to understand holistically what is contributing to this problem.
2: I think that that the holistic is interesting way of looking at it. I think that that is critical, given the fact that it's there. And, and
1: <laughs> it happens. It exists, right? So Absolutely.
2: We should, And we can either put our head in the sand, or we can say, let's try to address this. And if there's anything I've learned in the, what is now 10 years that I've been working on this god-awful project, denying its reality does nothing more, and I don't mean this to sound dramatic, but does nothing more than ensure that the next Jeremy Bell is right around the corner. Principal Friedrichs, he didn't intend to kill Jeremy Bell. I mean, Yeah, didn't.
1: no, no. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. I want to make sure we're mindful of time. But in a sense, if we ignore the need to study, an argument can be made that we're basically turning all of us into enablers for this particular problem. So it becomes a nation of enablers, honestly, Amos. And it seems to me that's the kind of thing we need to break through.
2: <sighs> that is such an interesting way of putting it. I spend most of my days with sexual assault survivors from around the world and what's so tragic is the stories i could literally take out a name put in a name because it's the same wherever the hell they are right whether they're in education in academia in the sports world or wherever and what has happened trust me unintended is because of armies and in subsequent articles is that people reach out to me, not about the perpetrator. The perpetrator doesn't interest me in the least. Sure. It's the enablers, it's, it's the system, that's the issue. And that well, goes to your excellent question, but how do you hold these people accountable?
1: Right, right. We'll have to put a pin in that because that is a big, big topic. But let's talk briefly about the specific case that gave rise to your project and talk about some of the factors in K-12, particularly in the United States, that contributed to that murder.
2: So Friedrichs, the teacher, started off his career in Philadelphia when the heat got hot and there was going to be a trial, but there wasn't. He resigned, left, was given a letter of recommendation, which I have not physically, (laughs) I mean, it's in my office, letter of recommendation, handwritten. Okay. Uh, Amazing is the polite word. We'll have to be polite here. There are other words. When we found no. the letter, we were Obviously. not polite. We're putting yeah. it in. I'm writing a law review article, which I'm finishing tomorrow. I'm putting it in the article because I want people to understand how this works.
1: Which journal will it be? in?
2: Well, you know how law review articles write, work. You write the article and you send it out, and you hope somebody picks it up. I see. Like,
1: right. Of course. Um, it's been a while since I submitted one. Oh, well, that's how that's how the shtick
2: <laughs> that's how the works. One hopes for the best. And then he we re- leaves teaching for a year or so, opens up a clothing shop conveniently located next to an elementary school. And then he goes to West Virginia and he has three things working in his favor. And this will not to be awkward, but we're both adults here. So is the
1: audience mostly.
2: (laughs) One, he was a good looking guy. He was attractive. Never hurts. Two, he had money. Mm. And three, he came from the big city of Philadelphia to West Virginia. And he had suave, he had game. And he went from school, we've tracked it. From school to school to school to school. At every school, the rumors began, the complaints started, and every school administrator ignored it. And what they would simply it, do the, is,
1: is I'm sorry to interrupt, but is it, do, in your opinion, were they ignoring it for the same reasons that Michigan State and U.S. gymnastics was is the same impulse, or do we have something
2: I, different in K twelve? I, I can't prove anything to you about the why, and so I don't want to get okay. into the why. I could I could give you assumptions until you know your hair looks like my hair. Um, <laughs> it's getting there. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Do we have assumptions? Does Dan Barber, the private detective, who the hero of the case, does he have assumptions? Absolutely. But from school to school to school, and, the complaints, and the complaints and the complaints and the complaints and the rumors, and he was taking boys out to his cabin he was taking boys skinny dipping he was taking boys in his car to talk about sex about sexual affairs
1: to what extent do you look at the parents in terms of their so that's awareness? a very i
2: knew you're gonna ask me that and here's my not convincing answer to you for which i wait hang on i appreciate the question for which i'm going to give you my answer for which i have been criticized okay best defense is a good offense full disclosure in all of my projects, I've made the deliberate decision not to examine the role of parents as facilitators, enablers to domestic violence, or parents here who knew, because I can show you parents who knew what was happening to their children, but did not act. And I again, I read the criticism, right? It's always very interesting to read the criticism about yourself, about your work, and that I am, yeah, I've been so It's an absolute
1: I'm, blast. <laughs> it is, it's fine. I, you know,
2: I'm, listen, It's it's part yeah. of the gig. That I'm accused of ducking the hard question about parents. One of the parents here in the Bell murder, the one of the mothers in the deposition said that she never knew, and I can show you that that's just not true. And I also know why she, in her specific case why she did what she did. I can do that.
1: I would argue, but, I would argue, and obviously you're the one who's done the research in this particular area. It it occurs to me that we need to view families as institutions in the same way that we do right. schools. I, or colleges yeah
2: right i'm aware of that i'm gonna i'm gonna duck i'm not sorry i'm not ducking i don't duck i'm gonna say that i leave that to others i'm not gonna get into that one but i understand i understand that
1: yeah what makes the bell
2: case what makes the bell case even more problematic is the speed with which local law enforcement closed the case
1: and why what did they do
2: so he's murdered on the night between the seventh and eighth of november 1997 there's another boy in the cabin with him. We'll refer to him as MP. Or at least never question him. There's an EMT guy who shows up. Nobody ever questioned him. There's a medical examiner who says asphyxiation, even though there are marks on his on the boy's face. The reason there were marks on the boy's face is because he was struggled with Friedrich's when he was chloroforming him. There was a fight. There's also a mark on the clavicle. And the clavicle was Friedrich said, Well, yeah, sure, because I gave him seven hours of CPR. Nobody can do CPR for seven hours, and law enforcement bought that. And then they bury the boy. But
1: that's honestly bonkers. I've taken that's the polite, courses. That's the polite,
2: That's the yeah. play. word bonkers. Jeremy's father. The parents are divorced. Jeremy's father doesn't buy this. He reaches out to a cousin, reaches out to a cousin, reaches out to a cousin who makes her way to Mr. Dan Barber in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mr. Barber gets in his car, goes to West Virginia, where he lives on and off for the next two years. And piece by piece, piece by piece, piece by piece, he puts the case together. Um, which led to the conviction of sexual assault of, I think, three or four boys. And then when he's in jail for that, then he's tried for the murder of Jeremy Bell. Mm -hmm. Mr. Barber, a year ago, made an extraordinary decision, which is humbling, is an understatement. He bequeathed to me, formally, contractually, 15,000 pages of documents. That's serving as, as the basis for the book and the article. Mr. Barber, when he gave me the documents, his mandate to me, and I quote, was he's giving this to me in order to ensure as much as possible that what happened to that little boy will never happen again. If you come to my office, front and center in my office is a large picture of the boy. And I have Mr. Barber's words, I mean, from three o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night in my head. Um, The article will be dedicated to Jeremy Bell. And the hope really is that, that this will, the whole process, the whole project will have a practical impact, a legislative impact, an educational impact. Are there people who I would love to see prosecuted? You betcha. Because they're enabling uh, put Friedrichs in that cabin with that boy that
1: night. It's just a chain of events, right? And so a good chunk of what I see you trying to do is to either shorten or eliminate that chain in other institutions and other organizations.
2: Well, that's really well put. I mean... I want to emphasize: this is a team project. Seven students and, we're, and another colleague of mine. This is go. I mean, there's a whole team here. I also want to hang on. Emphasize the uh, dean of students made an extraordinary decision. Um, they have made available to all the students a counselor, psychologist counselor, whenever mm-hmm. there's a need for it, given the difficulty of the material, and that's to their credit.
1: That's really impressive. Kudos to them, and I'm glad. One hundred percent. I'm glad you offered a shout out on that. Let me give you a chance to wrap up our interview with any final thoughts. Are, are there timelines people should be aware of for No, I'll out- tell you like,
2: of- the one thing that, in the, cause I'm straight up and blunt. How's that, is that acceptable to you?
1: <laughs> it's, it's the way we roll.
2: To make this huge project possible, we need resources, flat out I say that. And that's why I will send you the link to the bystander initiative. There's a what we call the donation, and I will send it to you. Anybody who wants to be a part of it, we'd be honored. If somebody doesn't want to be a part of it, that's also fine, but at least to give it consideration.
1: That sounds terrific, Amos. I'll also put that link, any links actually, that you provide me in my newsletter.
2: Thank you, my friend. And
1: we'll give it a chance to circulate out there and see who responds. Well, thank you very much for being well, on I appreciate podcast. it. Thank you for having me. It's been a real treat. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of obviously international experts like Amos, who are here helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have any questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can reach Jethro Jones at Jethro Jones, and you can reach me at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed the podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your favorite podcast service. We appreciate having you as a part of our audience and look forward to having you join us on our next episode.
0: Edited by Gage Sanderson. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals.